0: We continue this morning in our sermon series in Genesis. We left off uh, last week with Joseph in prison after he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife. But more importantly, the text left off with the promise of God's presence and his blessing with Joseph, upon Joseph, even while he was imprisoned. And so we pick up today in that same place. We're going to be looking at Genesis chapters 40 and 41 to on the screen, I'd really encourage you to have a copy of the scriptures open in front of you. I'm going to jump through these two chapters as we process and understand our text for today. So, so Joseph is in prison, presumably for quite some time. And in prison, he's joined by two men who did something to make Pharaoh mad. As you likely remember, Pharaoh is the name of Egypt's king, Egypt's ruler. And so he gets upset with uh, two of his palace officials, the the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. We don't know the nature of his anger against these men, uh, but it would make sense because it's two of Pharaoh's officials who were charged with caring for his food and his drink that uh, Pharaoh was likely concerned about some sort of plan or conspiracy to poison him, to kill him. The cupbearer was essentially Pharaoh's personal butler and bartender who would also be responsible for sampling any new wine or anything that Pharaoh was going to drink to make sure it was safe. And so these two men find themselves in prison because of Pharaoh's anger against them and they are in prison with Joseph. And each of them have a dream. And so we're going to pick up uh, our account in uh, chapter 40, verse 9 of our text. Chapter 40, verse 9. Uh, This is God's word to us. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me. And on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all, uh, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness, Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve to be put in a dungeon. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation, he said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. And what we find is that things worked out exactly as Joseph had predicted. The cupbearer was restored to his position, but the baker was killed by Pharaoh. And chapter 40 ends with a fascinating detail. Chapter 40, verse 23, notice this detail, this will be important later. It says this, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then as we start chapter 41, we see that there is a sort of a significant interlude. Two years go by between uh, the interpretation of the dreams and the events of chapter 41. So we pick up the account in chapter 41 and it says this in verse 1 when two full years had passed pharaoh had a dream he was standing by the nile when out of the river there came up seven cows sleek and fat and they grazed among the reeds after them seven other cows ugly and gaunt came up out of the nile and stood beside those on the riverbank. and the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek fat cows Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. And it's at this moment in the story that the cupbearer who is serving Pharaoh remembers Joseph, who had interpreted his dream accurately a couple years earlier. And so, Joseph calls, uh, so Pharaoh calls for, for Joseph and tells him his dreams. And we skip forward to verse 25. Here's what we read. It says, Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years. And the seven good heads of grain are seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years. And so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow them. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine that will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered, because the famine that follows it will be so severe. And then jumping down to verse 39, we find Pharaoh's response. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had made him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And people shouted before him, make way. Then he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. And as the account continues, we find that things happen, things transpire, exactly as God had revealed to Joseph. There there were seven years of plenty and... Seven years of famine. And then jump with me to verse 55 as we see how our text for today concludes. Verse 55, when all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread over the whole country, Joseph opened all the storehouses and sold grain to the Egyptians. For the famine was severe throughout Egypt, and all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph, because the famine was severe everywhere. So we have an overview of the story. I think we now understand the flow of events, of what takes place. Uh, But of course, we know that this isn't just history for the sake of history. God is revealing himself to us in his word so i want to make five observations uh, for us today from our text five things that we learn about ourselves and about god through the ascent uh, of joseph to second in command of egypt and the first thing i want you to see is this that god ordains our circumstances as part of his redemptive plan this is a recurring theme that we've seen throughout genesis right we've we've uh, addressed this a number of times that god orders he ordains he works out he plans our circumstances the events of our lives as part of his plan to redeem and save if you remember back a number of chapters joseph is a dreamer right it's his dreams of his family bowing down to him that got him in this whole predicament in the first place thrown into the cistern and then sold into slavery sent to Egypt but in today's text we find that it's those dreams that actually rescue him as well you, you see god is at work in joseph's life whether it was the, the dream of the sheaves of grain bowing down to him that caused his brothers anger to burn against him or now the dreams of the cupbearer and the baker that uh, that god gave him insight into god is at work ordering and ordaining Joseph's circumstances God sent Joseph to Egypt for a purpose and God sent him to the prison for a purpose and now God is going to raise him up out of the prison for a purpose this is of course all by design and God is putting everything in order God is planning every last detail in such a way that Joseph could never take credit for the way that things transpire. God is working in a way that in which only he can be credited for the way that things turn out. A foreigner given favor in the house of Potiphar, and then being framed for something he didn't do and sent to prison, and then being trusted with administering the affairs of the prison, and then through a series of strange events being released from prison by the king and, and given control over one of the most powerful empires in all of human history. But God is ordaining Joseph's circumstances as part of his redemptive plan. And and he does the same thing for you and for I. Uh, He he is putting us in in places and situations that that might make little sense to us in the moment. but, But are very strategic in God's redemptive plan. I'm convinced that one of the greatest causes of spiritual apathy, spiritual inactivity is that we, that we lose sight of what god has placed us in this place for uh, why, why god has placed us in the vocation in the family in the neighborhood in the community in which he's placed us that that it's not coincidence it's not chance why we are where we are that god has ordained your circumstances before you were ever born before your parents ever knew of you He put a plan in place through which he would use you to share the light of the gospel with people who need the hope of the gospel. Most of us don't think in that way. Uh, We put our faith, and this is human nature, we put our faith in a little compartment, right? Just like everything else in life. And when we come to church, we open up that compartment and we we play with that faith a little bit. And then we drive out of the parking lot and most of us put it right back in that box and, and we know where to find it next week. And we go about the rest of our lives. That's reality for most Christians. Unless you uh, think I'm picking on you, I'm preaching to myself as well. It's so easy to forget that that God is at work ordering and ordaining each and every circumstance of my life as part of his redemptive plan. What else do we see in our text? Uh, Second, we are continually faced with the decision between faithfulness and bitterness. This might uh, hit close to home for some of us this morning. Think about Joseph's circumstances. Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery, successful in Potiphar's house, and then imprisoned for years. It's like riding a roller coaster, isn't it? Following the life of Joseph. And I I think we would all agree that, that if anyone had reason to be bitter, it was probably... Joseph. If anyone had reason to bemoan all that had gone wrong in life, it would be him. He, generally speaking, did things the right way. Especially in the Potiphar situation, and he still ended up suffering. But the truth is, every day, each one of us are faced with that decision that Joseph was faced with. The decision between faithfulness or bitterness. We notice that everyone in our world is angry. I made a mistake this week. My family's been out of town, and so I I turned on cable news for about, oh, about three minutes. Uh, If you know me, I watch maybe a a total of 10 minutes of cable news every year. And so I was reminded of why I only, uh, why I never watch cable news. Uh, Three minutes in, and everybody was bitter. Everybody was angry. It's, it's amazing, and you, you turn the channel, it doesn't matter which channel you watch, right? You turn the channel, and the next news channel, they're going to be bitter, and they're going to be angry. It's just a different flavor of bitterness and anger, and of course, we can quickly diagnose the problem, right? If you have a biblical worldview, you can quickly diagnose the problem. People are looking for peace, and joy, and hope, and meaning, and, and purpose, and, and even life, in places where it doesn't exist, in places like politics right we we can't look for purpose and peace and meaning and joy in life in a place where it doesn't exist and it certainly doesn't exist in in politics uh, we're, we're faced every day with these kinds of decisions decisions between faithfulness and bitterness and make no mistake the default drift of the human heart and and the default pressing of our world is toward bitterness, right? Nobody makes money off of you if you are just faithful and content, right? No, nobody can squeeze a dime out of you if you're faithful, and con- but if you're if you're bitter, if you're looking for that thing, searching for that thing that's gonna make life better, there's a lot of opportunity uh, to squeeze some money out of us. Human beings naturally search for Life and hope and peace, strength and meaning in places it will never be found. And the result is almost always bitterness, right? Setting off in search of something, perpetually searching for something and never finding it. The result is always going to be bitterness. Even for the Christian, it's it's so easy to drift into that direction. I've heard... Those bitter conversations in this building. Conversations searching for hope, searching for life in places that we know it can't be found. we're, We're faced every day with that decision between feeding the bitterness that comes naturally toward us or choosing faithfulness. God's people who have been captivated by the gospel find meaning and and hope, and, and purpose, and life in Christ alone. Now, it's easier to say that, it's easier to preach that than to live that, right? But God's people, when we, when we recognize, understand, come to believe the gospel, we begin to find our life, and purpose, and meaning, and hope in Christ alone. But make no mistake, you, you will be faced every day with the question between Faithfulness and bitterness. Today, it will come your way. Will you choose faithfulness? Believing what God has said? Or will you choose to be bitter? It's a question that each of us are faced with every day. It's a question that Joseph was faced with on countless occasions. The third observation that I want to make from our text is this. Uh, that God does not forget his people or his promises. Uh, look at chapter 40, verse 23. It's one I pointed out to you when I was reading our text. The cupbearer whose dream Joseph interpreted was restored to his role, uh, out of prison, back to his old job in Pharaoh's palace, and trusted assistant to Pharaoh. And then look at verse 23. It says this, The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Joseph is the one who rightly predicted the meaning of the dream. And yet he is just forgotten. Now, now in the grand story, it seems like a pretty insignificant detail that the cupbearer forgot Joseph. But of course, the purpose, is, uh, the, the purpose of the statement is to, to create some contrast for us. For us to think about the one uh, who will not forget us. H- human beings will forget, they will forsake, but God will not. God never forgets his people or his promises. While years spent in prison might seem like they should have been enough to, to drive Joseph to to wonder if God had forgotten him, if God had forsaken him, God most certainly did not. And when the time was exactly right, according god's timeline not joseph's when the time was exactly right god gave a dream to pharaoh and the person who two years earlier had had told his dream to joseph was was there and suddenly remembered what had taken place you see god never forgets his people and he never forgets his, his promises and and while the time that we spend in the waiting room of life while the time that we spend in The dungeon of life can can trick us into thinking that he's forgotten us. He hasn't. As I reminded us last Sunday, he is always working for our good in all things. Even when it doesn't make sense. God doesn't forget his people or his promises. What else do we see in our text? The, The fourth thing that we see is that God is sovereign over all nations. Think about the situation here. God raises Joseph to power in Egypt, and not just to power, but really to supreme power, to to be second in command of all Egypt. God can take a young Hebrew man and make him the functional day-to-day ruler of the Egyptian empire. Don't be too quick to just pass by that idea. This is a miracle in every respect. It's such an important idea for us to wrestle with today romans chapter 13 reminds us that that any power any any rulers who exist have been established by god job 12 says that god makes nations great and destroys nations he enlarges nations and he scatters nations that we see in joseph that god is is fully capable of putting the person that he wants in control of a nation. God is sovereign. He reigns in control over all nations. If God determines that a certain person will be the ruler, God will make it happen. That's exactly what he did in Egypt. This should be a source of great comfort for us. We don't need to spend our time wringing our hands over whether our guy will get elected. We can rest in God's sovereign control he is in control of all things god is sovereign over all nations it's a source of great comfort for the believer and and here's the reality god is god is actually far more concerned about whether we are are, are loving our neighbor whether we are sharing the hope of the gospel with unreached people than he is about what politician is elected god causes rulers to to rise and to fall that's That's God's work. That's what God does. He he causes rulers to rise. He causes rulers to fall. What what is our work? Our work is is loving those around us, loving our neighbor toward God's kingdom, proclaiming the gospel, sharing the hope of Jesus, telling other beggars where we found food. God is sovereign over all nations. It's, it's It's a source of great hope for all who believe. And then finally, I want you to to see this, that Joseph brings us to Jesus. You're going to hear this several times between now and the end of Genesis, but the the fact is you can't preach a Christian sermon on Joseph and not preach Jesus. It would be sort of like like preaching on God's provision for Abraham and Isaac on on Mount Moriah and, and not preaching Jesus as the Lamb of God, the substitute slain for the sin of the world, the the events and the circumstances of Joseph's life are just too obvious to be ignored, too clear to, to not recognize that they are leading us, they are pointing us, they are directing us to someone far better than Joseph that is coming. Think about the similarities between Joseph and Jesus. Joseph was rejected by his brothers. Just as, of course, Jesus was rejected by the Jews, by his own family, even by his disciples. Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus for 30. Two other accused men were in the company of Joseph. One finds life and one death. Just like two men were in the company of Jesus, one finding life and one death. Joseph was a Hebrew, but rose to power among Gentile nations. Jesus, also a Hebrew, was rejected by the Jews but exalted in the hearts of the Gentiles. Joseph was was taken from the prison to the the right hand of Pharaoh. Jesus was taken from the grave to the right hand of of his heavenly father. Joseph ministered to men in prison. Scripture tells us that Jesus preached to the spirits in prison. Joseph's brothers would, would come and bow down before him and and one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Joseph shows tremendous grace to his brothers and Jesus has poured out his grace upon all who believe. Joseph brings us to Jesus. As I wrap up today I want to direct your attention to verse 55 what I think is one of the most uh, powerful hopeful Uh, verses in in our text verse 55 famine strikes the land and what does Pharaoh tell the desperate people to do verse 55 then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians go to Joseph and do what he tells you and I tell you today go to the true and better Joseph Jesus alone is the source of life and provision And hope, as Peter proclaimed, Lord, to whom shall we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. And so we are invited today to go to Jesus, to run to Jesus, to turn to Jesus, Jesus who who died for your sin, who was raised that you might have resurrection life. Go to Jesus today and he will give you all that you need. His grace is sufficient for you. Let's pray. A loving and gracious God, we thank you that you are truly always at work ordaining our circumstances. It's part of your plan to redeem, to, to rescue the world. We pray that you would give us strength, give us wisdom to choose faithfulness over bitterness. We thank you that you never forget us. You never forget your promises. Thank you that you are sovereign over all things, including all nations. And we, pr- we pray that you would help us to, to trust in you, to rest in your control, in your power. And we, and we thank you that the story of Joseph isn't just a story. It's, it's not just a, a historical account. We thank you that it, it actually brings us to Jesus. And so uh, deepen our trust, strengthen our faith. In Jesus, thank you that Jesus gives us all that we need. That Jesus did it all for us. So we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.